This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is with Krista Fiegler. Krista is an award-winning dietitian nutritionist, author, private practice owner, and host of the Less Stressed Life podcast. She helps health-savvy women overcome food sensitivities and fatigue without restrictive dieting to beat bloat, burnout, and eczema breakouts. She has a passion for subclinical thyroid issues, the nervous system, and stealth biotoxins. She lives with her unicycling husband and kids in the Midwest. In today's episode, we will address eczema. What does the presentation of eczema say about its root cause? We will discuss the relationship of eczema with things like what we eat, how we sleep, how much water we intake, and if we consume alcohol, We'll also talk about the relationship between the gut and skin issues. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone. Today, we have Krista Beegler on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. So today, we are going to talk about a hot topic, eczema which I mean, a lot of people have, but I didn't expect the response that I got, which was like, we have a thousand questions. So here we are. <laughs> I can't wait. I would, my brain gets bored pretty easily. So I'd rather, I, my favorite thing is like popcorn, ask me all the questions, but I do think context helps. So context, here we go. Yeah. So we are going to hopefully cover all kinds of things. I am most interested to hear your take on just the nutritional aspects of eczema and how that can affect it. That and maybe we can even go a little bit broader when we talk about it because I'm I feel like I have a feeling that today's podcast might encourage me to change some of my eating habits, but I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> Hard to say. I mean, I also am coming from a background of seen a lot of people who are over restricting. And so I really am just like a normal human being that wants to be able to eat. I mean, I think this is us. We want to have our health because we understand what it takes because we see people not being healthy. So we want to have our health, but we also want to enjoy life too. And so I don't think it's healthy to be dogmatic and psychotic about having to eliminate everything if it's not really doing it. And to be quite honest, it's typically not the food's fault. You can be reacting to food, but it's not usually the food's fault. It's the messaging that's happening in the immune system. So mm -hmm. anyway. Moderation. Key. Yeah, there's just, I mean, I would just make enzymes work. That would, that would be what I would say. <laughs> make, make things work better in the body and then you won't be reacting to food would be my comment, but mm -hmm, we can, mm -hmm. you, you can ask me all the things once we get the context established yeah. here. So, all right. 
All right, cool. So why don't we start off with, let's talk about like a statistic of how many people are struggling with eczema. What are we talking about here? Well, this is why all your audience said, oh my gosh, we have so many questions because at least one in 10 or one in five people have eczema or kids. So 10 to 20% of kids have eczema. I'm sure it's much more than that. I think it's one of those things where we don't have super updated statistics. With adults, we know that it's somewhere between one and 5%, around 3% is kind of the average. I think, I don't know, I look through eczema glasses all day long. So I feel like I see a lot of it. If people don't have eczema, maybe they have a different skin condition, right? So people, you would be hard pressed to find someone who didn't know someone with a skin condition is the point. One of the issues with it is that it presents in many different ways. We try to treat it kind of the same. And there's a bit of nuance Overall, because something showing up on the skin or eczema is essentially this inflammation red. It can be red and itchy and inflamed. There's all these types, right? There's different names, different types. Atopic dermatitis, really the same thing as eczema. Contact, you're reacting to things on contact, dyshydratic eczema, numular eczema. But we kind of just treat it the same. And I think we can kind of separate it into when it looks like this, it's kind of behaving like this. And there's an internal system that's not working because the skin is simply an organ of elimination. And so if the body cannot eliminate beautifully in one of the other systems of elimination, then the skin is a really safe place to put it. So why does this affect so many kids? Their systems of elimination may be a little more immature. So you'll see all the time that kids have eczema and then they may or may not grow out of it. And then there's the atopic march where they may grow into asthma or allergies. I just talked to a mom yesterday who she had asthma as a kid and then she never, and she has like seasonal allergies in adult and her son has significant eczema. So we have a genetic predisposition, right? Loading the gun. And then what's being, what's actually happening, what happened in lifestyle, gut, et cetera, around birth story, around parents, just the environment that kind of pulls the trigger essentially. Right. So that's what we're trying to, and the really crappy thing about eczema and why everyone hates it is that we just want it to be easy because <laughs> it's just a right. little skin rash until it's right until it's ruining your life, until it's just consuming <laughs> a lot of time, right? So we want it to be simple because we look at it as it's topical. We, we should just give it a topical thing. That's that's how we are in life. It's like, oh, I, gotta, I have a social issue at school. Well, let's go to a counselor. Okay, cool. But there's other possible opportunities. Just like with skin, there's other possible opportunities. It's not just topical. The topical is important. So I would argue that it's twice as much work, unfortunately. Uh, depending on the Yeah, theory. this topic I feel like is nuanced and I feel like you go to somebody who specializes in skin like a dermatologist and I just recently had this experience with my own child and it's like okay, well, here's this cream or medicine for this specific thing, but the way you go about it is so multidimensional and there's so much more to it than, okay, well, this is just the skin condition you have. Well, why do I have it, right? I have four kids. Only one of them struggles significantly with eczema, right? So it's like, what is going on there that's different than the rest, you know? Mm -hmm. Is that a real story? Do you have a a child that struggles with eczema? Yeah, severe. Okay, cool. So we can maybe yeah. use this and like dissect it potentially for people if we if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's interesting. What's what's interesting to me is that when she was born, she had significant like baby acne and cradle cap and just all those like skin conditions that you can see in infants. And then just kind of like as she grew up, it was more just eczema, and she has this like 
very angry patch that will get inflamed seasonally in her antecubital fossa on the right. And then she'll have nomula eczema on her neck and she'll have like uh, blepharitis. It's just like all these different things. I'm di- but totally it's, diagnosing this in my head right now. <laughs> it's it's seasonal. <laughs> yeah. Is it worse in the summer than the winter or what? You said you live East Coast. Oh, so so it, it's, it's only bad in the winter. So it okay. goes away completely in the summer. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's been the issue, but it's so funny because I'm like, no one else, none of us, not my husband. I, I mean, well, I guess he's sometimes has had blepharitis, but like nothing like significant as far as skin conditions go. And she's just like annoyed by it, which I understand. Right. And she's my oldest. And as she gets older, she's like, I don't want to be having this on my face. You know what I mean? Like it's, you want to talk about it? Yeah. We can talk about it. Let's break it down. <laughs> all right. My one of my best friends is an optometrist. So we ski all the time. Like we we ski to little like spots and then we just stop and talk about like gut health and eye health. <laughs> and so we talk about <laughs> sometimes. And so one time I had our guests speak. I had a few clients, a couple had dry eye stuff. And so these are like the things she sees all day that just plague her because she had done stuff with me and had done, and then she like her whole free time is just looking at nutritional biochemistry and whatever. So it, it kind of drives her crazy, right? She's like, I can't unsee all these things now, right? So with dry eye, well, I won't go off on that because we're talking about blepharitis. But anyways, we I had her come in to talk to some clients and then she sends me a bunch of pictures afterwards. She's like, here's a picture of all the mites in the eyelashes that, that we all have. But with blepharitis, we think that there's like an increase of these mites and essentially the bottom line, and she would say it so much more professionally than I would, is that there's a gut imbalance. So this is already evidenced, like there's already evidence to me, the way you just described the fourth, I don't know if we want to get child number four <laughs> eczema, because numular eczema to me, this is the round raised like spots. Those are really gut mediated to me. Now, normally, so I made this up because I struggled with eczema that presented differently. I had dry stuff that presented in the winter and my sister's had, and I was like, oh, it's, it's just genetic, which is what we say when we have, we see it in our family. We're like, oh, it's just genetic. And then I put a cream on it. And kind of like you said, the reason people start to become really disgruntled by this, and I'm sure you, well, if you're in the ED, you may not see this as much, but in primary care, people start to get really frustrated And I'm sure the providers are frustrated because the toolbox is a bit shallow, it seems, right? So we have got steroid creams, sometimes we have antibiotic creams. And then honestly, it seems like the standard of care goes from that to a biologic. And that's when people are like, what? (laughs) I have to do that and then test my kids' liver enzymes? Like what? (laughs) It doesn't, you know, they're just like, there's a bit of a gap here. Yeah. And there is a bit of a gap. We're just not all on the same page and that's okay. So let's try to get on the same page. So for me, I'm going to, I'm going to just break this down for context. Cause I think it'll make so much more sense when I answer the rest of the questions. So my eczema looked like that in the winter. And then I had stuff. I had a couple of small children. I was working and then building another business. I took my kids to the pool every day one summer. Cause again, it showed up usually in the winter. And then I broke out with this like raging rash all around my neck and my eyes. It was very exciting. And so this dry flakiness, let's talk about the liver for a moment and try to like make sense physiologically why skin can be dry and flaky or, or what would make sense. The liver does a whole lot of things, but one of its main functions is to make bile. Bile breaks down fatty acids. Fatty acids help you absorb fat-soluble nutrients. So if you're having like a more dry, flaky presentation, 
I would say we need to focus on environment or what is stressing out these uh, elimination systems, including the liver, right? Because we know that our skin is an elimination system. We already talked about that a few moments ago. So when it kind of presents dry, flaky, I often see that presenting more in the winter and most people, not everyone. I mentioned just slightly, this actually plays into, I'm slightly off topic, but dry eye, but I I alluded to it a moment ago, so I'm just going to stick it in here because again, if you have like dry mucous membranes, you've got to think about how well bile production is working, how well you're digesting fatty acids, which you need, and then absorbing fat soluble nutrients. So one angle, or we're going to talk about three buckets of like, this is essentially the priority. You stuff to where I do all the things, but this is the priority of where sometimes you need to start here. So in my situation, and it was more environmental. I had to support liver, like the factory of the liver and, and all the nutrients that go into that and just support it so that things were not showing up on the skin. Now that I call, that would be like the second layer with the way that child number four's eczema is presenting is really typical for a child. So most kids fit in this bucket right now, which is, I call it inflammatory like bucket or, or gut mediated more. So that's more the priority. These are some of the things where it's like that go under this bucket or where I see the overlaps. So numular eczema, like invariably, if it's round and spotted, if we work on gut stuff, it tends to go away. If it's red and raised more so than like dry and flaky all the time. So if it's primarily red and raised or like just spotted in general, I would say gut mediated. If you're reacting to histamine foods, and this is where people are like, wow, I changed my diet and that really helped. I took out dairy. I'm like, okay, well, it's a really high histamine. So histamine is not the root cause in my opinion, but it's part of symptom relief. So histamine is a natural food neurotransmitter or natural food chemical that your body, like tons of other things, you take in your body with good gut bacteria says like makes some enzymes work. And then you use enzymes like DAO and HNMT to break that down. And then if your liver is working beautifully or your elimination systems are working beautifully, that it gets eliminated out. We do the same things with like estrogen. So this is why sometimes people have skin flares around their menstrual cycles or around ovulation or before their cycle, because we use similar eliminate, like it's a similar pathway, biochemical pathway. So this inflammatory pattern, I would say more commonly it's worse in the summer than the winter. It's okay that it's worse in the winter for child number four, but more commonly it's summer or spring. And that can be varied by the season and climate and those types of things, because we know when time is bloom, when things are blooming, that you would have an increase of histamine. You can increase histamine with activity, with hot baths. So sometimes people are more red and, and irritated after that hot bath, after exercise, after a whole slew of foods that we love. I would call it like a charcuterie tray. It's like all fermented aged, whatever, like it's sausages and pickles and just fermented stuff, kombucha, dairy, like it can also be dairy, nuts, bananas, avocado. So it's just, again, I'm not encouraging you that this is like a permanent thing that someone doesn't tolerate. But sometimes people's bucket of that is just really full. When the bucket is full, you overflow. So we've talked a little bit about this gut mediated or inflammatory type that's kind of red raised, etc. in darker skin or in melanated skin, it doesn't always appear pink. Sometimes it can appear a little more gray. So sometimes eczema gets misdiagnosed in melanated skin. And then we talked about the environmental or kind of more support detoxification pathways first. So again, it's just priority, both matter. And then there's one more bucket. So what you see in kids is that they usually have this gut mediated or inflammatory type. That's the first. And then it just kind of gets a little more complex because 
there's the gut liver connection. And so it's almost like having, I like to use the analogy of dandelions in the lawn. So we have all these, like you don't have a perfect lawn. I don't, but some people might. I don't have a perfect lawn as I look out at all the snow in my backyard. And, uh, but you can have some weeds that'll pop up. And so we're all familiar with dandelions, dandelions or any weed take away the nutrients from the good bacteria and they make that struggle and more weeds proliferate. And those dandelions give off their seeds. And so in the gut bacteria, different opportunistic bacteria give off endotoxins and endotoxins have to go somewhere. So this can look like when you eat, you have like sometimes brain fog or just like less clarity, or it can show up on that. Those endotoxins can show up on the skin because you've added to the burden of taking out the trash. And so that may show up on the skin a little bit. So do I need to pause there? I'm, I'm kind of like on a, on this whole on a tangent. <laughs> no, a I love tangent. it. Sorry about that. But so no, I love what it. happens with kids is usually they have that inflammatory gut one and then it can build and then you can start having like dry flaky skin or you're adding more burden to the liver. I mean, it could have been there in the first place too, but I'm mm-hmm. just saying usually these build. And then finally a, th- a presentation I see all the time is I had eczema as a child. I grew out of it as an adult. Maybe I, I did or I didn't have anything, but now I have it on my hands. Well, the last three years was kind of hard on the hand microbiome because we were using a ton of alcohol on our hands, disrupting the natural phospholipid layer on the skin that should be antimicrobial naturally. We were disrupting it in general. So I think we allowed for some things to come in and set up shop if the environment was right for it. But for me, when I see hand eczema, there's usually a pretty big stress component under stress, we are dumping nutrients. That's the main thing that I'm trying to (laughs) communicate is like, we all have stress. We're not going to escape it. We have to improve our resilience to it. But in short, it dumps out nutrients. And when you dump out a lot of certain nutrients, minerals and others. So minerals affect how enzymes work because you need all these nutrients for backbones to make liver detoxification work, to make enzymes work. And that's what makes everything else happen. So if you dump out all the nutrients, now your skin can't heal as well. These other processes just get worse. So it's like a broken system that just gets further and further degraded the longer it is. I'm not trying to be dark. I'm just trying to say like, well, it's very subclinical, right? It's not like horrific, but people say all the time as they start to heal, it's like a tree, you know, like you water it and it's like all the trees start to bloom or all the branches start to bloom, not just like a couple, right? Maybe the tree was looking a little or the plant, this would be more like a house plant at my house. Like, oh, you look a little tough. Let me just give you a little water. And now everything is kind of coming back to life. So what people will say often when you start to deal with the roots of this, like correct gut balance, digest and absorb food, get all your nutrients from food is they will say my skin heals a lot faster than it used to. I used to get like a spot of acne or this happened and it w- I would just be broken out for a long time and I couldn't get it to heal and I heal a lot faster. Well, when you have the nutrient tools to do that, it's funny how fat, how much faster and how much easier you bounce back. I think this is part of why we can, we can extrapolate that comment and apply it to many other places in life of where people don't heal or recover very quickly. They don't have a very good foundation. Like they're just like, depleted. And so they don't have the foundations or the nutrients to really bounce back very easily. It's kind of like if someone's getting sick quite a bit, their immune system's getting suppressed. And then it's, there's a lot we could say about that too. 
so can you break down how to so for those listening, they're probably like, well, Krista, how do I like how do I build that foundation? Like, if if I'm somebody that not only has like issues with my skin, I might have like these other issues that could be somewhat solved by just like building this this foundation, like what nutrient tools, like where do I start? When I'm looking at eczema, I kind of look at the presentation, like if their hands are inflamed, I am going to, I'm, I'm going to answer this from a couple of different angles and I, you can feel free to redirect me however you think, because I'm going to think about it, how it walks in the door more. So someone walks in the hand, door with hand eczema, I'm going to encourage that we do as much as we can to control ta- I didn't talk about this. So we should about, we're going to make sure we're going to control any infection looking thing that's going on topically. Cause guess what? If things are really infected topically, and this will happen if people are trying to avoid seeing that it just, ha- it's just part of eczema. Like it's stat. We do universally agree that there's a staph aureus overgrowth commonly. And so you scratch one place then you scratch in the other place and now you transferred it. The staph grows from the inside out. So I guess what I see on stool tests all the time, staph aureus overgrowth all the time. Yeah. Eh, all the time. So if there's staph overgrowth and there's an infection going on and I am not convinced that our culturing is, we're not, anyway, you, if it's like looking a little angry, if it's pussy, it's probably for sure. I mean, you know this more than I do. I'm just, I'm looking at it through eczema lenses and I'm like, please go to your doctor and get something for this. So put out the infection, heal the topical barrier as much as possible. We've got uh, Dr. Peter Leo. I think it's his term that he, that he made in the, so he's got several papers, but they call it leaky skin. But if the barrier is broken, that's an issue. And then you work on the inside. So for me, Lindsay, when someone walks in the door, I'm like, okay, what do you've got going on? You've got some dry patches. It's around your eyes, the here and here. Okay. Let me start with supporting the nutrients that are needed for the liver to do its job. Right. Or remember like in a different words, how can I improve bile production and how can I improve um, breaking down? And this is why some people they'll add like fatty acids or omega fatty acids and they'll look better right? So like they're adding supplemental fatty acids because maybe they're not getting them in their diet or maybe they're not breaking them down and absorbing them, right? So they add that in and they're like, oh, it helps a little bit, right? So that's a a thing that has, you know, I see it, people walk in where they say like, this really helped me. So I use those three buckets to say, where do you start? If my hands are all broken out, I'm like, Let's talk about what's going on with your nervous system and your stress while at the same time we put out any infection because that's adding to your stress. Well, at the same time, we try to like make this heal topically as fast as possible because it's also contributing to your stress. And then we'll go in and make sure things are working in the gut because if things aren't working in the gut, you're not digesting, absorbing, et cetera. If someone walks in and they got numular eczema and it's a kid and all the things match and the history looks good, I'll say, okay, let's look at what's going on in the gut then let's target what's going on in the gut. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes there's something kind of gross going on. And guess what? We all have stuff that happens. I had a past client where I had the parents as clients and they said, oh, our, our child has eczema. I'm like, okay, we'll try this and this to just gently shift the gut in the right direction first. And that didn't work. And so we looked inside, you know, we got a little poop sample and we looked inside and then we saw some things that were just too overgrown for like guessing. So there's two sides of the coin. So if someone walks in with that stuff, that's what we do. And if some, I think I mentioned liver and I think I mentioned stress already. So it depends on how it's presenting. You're, you're, you could always just start from wherever, but the problem is, is that people are more like people's adrenals are in worse shape than they've ever been. 
if you are going to need, people have a lot of stress and that stress dumps all these nutrients out. And then you have the adrenal glands that sit on top of the kidneys. They are under pressure because the body is going to make cortisol above everything else. When you're trying to run from a tiger and make cortisol, your body has downregulated every other system. It's like, no, the priority is like escaping the tiger. So I don't care about anything else. I'm going to preferentially move all blood flow from the middle to the extremities. And so I'm going to take away things that would help the gut work really beautifully, et cetera. So you can go fight that battle you need to fight, right? So if we do this day in and day out, it's a slow, slow breakdown. So I see people like I have a lot of health professional clients. And so if they walk in and they're just looking a bit ragged, I will go and support all these nutrient deficiencies that happen under stress first. So I've gone a few different directions because that's how my brain works. But I will say like if you've had prolonged stress, the worst thing you can do is think that you don't have it because you're not really fooling anyone but yourself. So like kind of taking inventory of what the last like while has been is the best first thing you can do because then you can start taking action because there's certain nutrients that get dumped under stress. And if you can start taking action and putting uh, foundation back together, you can get some healing potentially. So you said, what do I start with for foundations? You know what always works? Amino acids. Amino acids are wonderful to start with. Why? Because if you have had stress or gut imbalances or whatever, and you've got this stuff going on, stomach acid could be suppressed. And then we're not digesting protein beautifully. That means we're not breaking proteins down in amino acids. Plus people, I don't know. I, I think this is, this can depend on the client. This can just depend on every person who's in front of you, but sometimes getting high quality protein in the door is seems to be a problem for people. So we need to take that food in. We've got to break it all the way down. We got to get the nutrients from it because those amino acids are essential for skin healing. They're essential for detoxification, huge for phase two detoxification. So it's just such a little thing. That's really a big thing actually that helps you heal faster. So I'll stop there and let you redirect where you... This podcast episode is brought to you by StoryWorth. Do you want to make Mother's Day extra special for your mom or mother figure this year? StoryWorth is a unique and heartfelt gift that will truly make her feel special and loved. StoryWorth is an online service that helps preserve memories and stories with your loved ones for years to come. StoryWorth will email your loved one every week with a new thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of options. Some of these questions may include... What is your go-to karaoke song? Would you prefer to have an adventure or to read about one? After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of these stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you will be able to share for generations to come. This is a gift that will truly keep on giving. I plan to keep this book safe for my children to read to their children, and so on. This is such a great journey that you will get to go on with your loved one to be able to connect with them in a way that you may haven't connected with them before. I am personally really excited to learn more about the little things that make my mom happy. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years to come. StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you'll save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash Lindsay. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Lindsay to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash Lindsay, and that's L-Y-N-Z-Y. So let me ask you about amino acids specifically. What is your 
best way to intake amino acids. I've heard a million times that the best way to intake any nutrients is going to be through your food, like before you take it supplementally. But what's your take on that? And then if somebody can't get it through their food nutrient-wise, what supplement would you recommend? Okay. Well, let's talk about any obstacles with the food that can be challenging and what you could do with it. So if you're taking in protein, we want to take in enough protein. For me, this is probably 18 to 24 grams of protein in the morning as a woman. And like my, this, this recommendation is not just a blanket recommendation, but uh, it's, I can say this out loud because I'm not going to hurt you. (laughs) So this is okay. Like there's no concern. I don't have concerns about saying that. That is abnormal, right? Like it's actually kind of, and I want to say it because it's a little bit hard for people to do and it's not natural for people to do. Let's just say that first because a lot of times we're taking in only carbs in the morning. I love carbs. Yeah, it's really hard to do the protein thing. Yeah. It's hard to do. It's like basically you have to flip how you normally eat an opposite. That's actually like the macronutrient composition for best energy. But anyway, so taking in enough protein. So I just want to put that kind of metric there. What does that actually look like? It looks like at least a deck of card size of protein. Each egg is only six grams of protein. Now I'll just be honest. I had two eggs for breakfast with my toast and my other stuff. And like, there's some collagen in my coffee. So you kind of have to be a little creative, play with it, see how you do. Just because I said this and you tried it one day, uh, doesn't constitute like this works really well. So I'm just going to stand by what I'm saying here. So you've got to digest this stuff. If you're not able to digest it well, what's going on? What's the thing that helps you digest protein well? Stomach acid helps you digest protein well. What are the backbones to making stomach acid? Minerals. What do you dump under stress? Minerals. So repleting minerals you can do that with electrolytes. So I always start my day with electrolytes as well. You can get a little more focus targeted fancy about this, but that's one thing you can always experiment for me in practice. I don't really do digestive and digestive enzymes are kind of like an elementary approach, but I think it's a good thing for someone for DIYing. Someone could experiment with digestive enzymes. If they're like, I'm not sure, like if I eat a bunch of protein, it kind of sits funny or I don't feel amazing. Or like they might say, Krista, like that's nice of you to say, like eat that much protein in the morning, but it doesn't make me feel good. That's probably because you're not digesting it. Uh, That's why it doesn't make you feel good is one possibility. And there's a, there's a few other possibilities too, but you can DIY and experiment with enzymes. The enzymes can have protease in them. By the way, there's certain bacteria strains that help you increase your protease enzyme production. Bacillus subtilis, by the way, does that. I hate, I'm, I'm going to be careful about how I say this because I don't think people should, but it's all over the internet anyway. You can take betaine HCL or pep with pepsin if you want. There's some caveats to me on doing that. I It, dr- it will drive certain not optimal di- bacteria deeper into the tissue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that would not be my first line of defense. I would probably just experiment, get curious and say, how do I feel when I eat this much protein? And then I would also say like, what does it look like if I take some enzymes? Do I feel better. If I'm struggling with that much protein, what's it look like if I have a hydrolyzed or a pre-digested or a, an amino acid version? Collagen is an amino acid version or a partial amino acid version of proteins. I have, there's like some protein powders I like that I will sometimes, because for me, I have like four different breakfast rotations, which I think is good. Like eating the same thing day after day is a little 
blah. So I use, there's some protein powder I like that's like really tasty. That's like more, that's got more comprehensive profile of amino acids than, than just collagen, but collagen can be a nice little add on. So those are some ways you can get that in. Otherwise, it depends on the severity of what I'm looking at in front of me, right? But otherwise, there's some amino acid supplements that are worthwhile. There was also an electrolyte that I was using for a solid year that had amino acid. Like I just, like with everything, I just try new things and so I've moved on. But there's an electrolyte that's got amino acids in it as well. So there's some options. And so for me, the answer is always like more than one sentence because it's like, are you digesting? Oh, guess what? You're actually, if you had stress, you suppressed your stomach acid. So this is why I'm, I'm like a broken record. I'm like, well, you have to support how you make stomach acid and you need to like chew things up, which is an underrated strategy. Don't inhale things because your stomach doesn't have any damn teeth. And so just think about it. Cause I, as standing here, I'm not preaching from a pedestal. I'm talking to a friend and a, and a peer because I grew up with a dad who grew up in the, who was military and he ate really fast. And in college, my friends would be like, wow, how are you talking that much and being done eating the first? Like, that's not a prize you want to win. So chew slower. <laughs> and I will have clients tell me like, that particular thing. Cause sometimes they'll say, I've got this or this going on. I'm like, Oh, I got sexy strategies, but you got to do the unsexy stuff first. Otherwise you will just be back right where you started. Cause if you don't slow down how you're eating, if you don't chew it up, you're never going to be great at digesting. Right. Cause you're like not even giving your body the opportunity to smell the food, create enzymes <laughs> starting in the mouth. And then in, like, you have to look forward to eating, which basically is the opposite of what happens when you go to work. Right, Lindsay? Like that would never, that probably would never happen. Right. So you have to kind of consider this is my actual life. Like, that's really nice, Krista. This is my actual life when I go work at the ED and it's a nightmare. Right. So I look at like the, the ratio of what your days are like, right? Like, okay, how many days are you like that? And how many days are you not like that? Where can you start? What's like your easy low hanging fruit? Where do I I have to start somewhere because <laughs> I can either throw up my hands and deal, and deal with this thing, or I can like make little steps to make this work right. So, cause it, by the way, it broke down slowly usually, right? So you have to rebuild it a little bit, sometimes slowly. There's dramatic things. And then there's like easy DIY things. So did that help? So there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah. I have, I found that it was really hard for me. I discovered postpartum, like, I, so your butt falls off, right? Your butt falls off after, after babies, it like disappears. It's the weirdest thing, but it happens. And I'm like, what is going on? So of course I'm like, okay, like I'm going to start lifting lunges, this, that, the other thing. And I'm still like, what is going on? Like, it's still falling off. Like, I don't get it. I'm like, okay, I have to increase my protein intake. And I just never solely focused on muscle growth all that much before. I have always been extremely active physically, but like never really focused more on like weightlifting and muscle growth and all that. So I'm like, oh, oh, I have to intake like a significant amount of protein like in a day's work. And I'm like, I don't even know where to begin with this because it is really difficult. It's very difficult when you're busy because I feel like quality protein takes a lot of effort to either make beforehand or just you have to be planning. You're intentional. And then life gets yeah. in the way sometimes, right? Yeah. So then you fall Like off. a protein smoothie, that's a lot for me. Making eggs, a lot for me. So it's like, 
I figured it out and like I, I have definitely been increasing it over the past year or so, but it's it's so hard. But anyway, all that to say, it's just like I, I have found it to be like I, I keep trying to look for like these shortcuts like, oh, I could eat this protein bar over here. But like it's just it has all like you look at the back of it and you're like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, then it has a lot of really hard to digest things and gums in it and whatnot. So it's really it's interesting, right? Because what you just described is kind of our relationship and our willingness of X, Y, and it's fine, right? So like we have to lay it all out and say, well, this is what this looks like. It's difficult. What are my options? I mean, this is like, there's so much around food that really has nothing to do with food. It pretty much has. It's like, there is the, here's what to do. And then the, hmm, but how am I actually going to get it all done? Right. Right. And so... I mean, everyone could tell like the answer to freedom sometimes is like a touch of planning. And that doesn't have to be to me. I'm not like a big planner on Mm -hmm. certain things. But today I'm like, okay, the corn, it is the day before St. Patty's Day as we record Mm -hmm. this, which is my favorite holiday. And I'm like, okay, the corned beef is on the stove. It is (laughs) fine. Like I will not get to 5 p.m. today without a dinner plan tonight, Satan. (laughs) Like I've got this today. But, you know, guess what? The last two days was not like that. So all I know the answer to my life is to say, which proteins are going to be tonight, guys? Okay, it's one of these because guess what? You're like, this is hard. And I agree with you. And then I back up and I flip the coin to the other side. And I'm like, we're actually really boring people. We pretty much only eat four proteins. So there's really only like four options typically. I mean, I'm just like being really blunt and whatever. But I used to look, I used to do a lot of work with food sensitivities and food variety and all these things. And so this became very apparent. Like people only eat four different types of protein, pork, turkey, beef, and chicken. Typically the only time you're going to get variety is if you're doing fit like different fish or wild game. It's like that. Right. And then it's like, what are the other options? So it's interesting because everyone's been looking for like a quick fix to breakfast. It's, you know, I worked in a food company in college and I went to this concept meeting. It was hilarious. I can't remember if I went to this meeting or the marketing person was telling. So part of my internship was going, was working. It was, I was in research and development. And so I'd get to go and like hang out with the chef and he would create the gold standard thing. And then it would go to market. And I just think this story is kind of funny because this was a long time ago and their case group was these women. And what were they, the problem they wanted to solve was like, give me a quick healthy grab and go breakfast. That's the concept this food company was coming up with. So the chef makes this great thing. And then the food scientists have to make it cheaper. So they take it to like the food, the chef makes it fancy. The food scientists are like, all right, how do we like actually use things from our current product line to make this work, to make it cost effective, to make it cheap. And the prototype was essentially a frozen fried cookie doughish thing. That's what the prototype was. It went from here's what I want <laughs> to here's what the company gave you. And it was just, I tell you that story because it was, it made me think of like, these are the same age old problems that women and and people have had for a, a while, a couple decades now, probably at least, right? And it's just interesting that no one's got your best, um, no one's got your best interest in mind, but you. <laughs> this is what came, comes out the other end. That was just like so fascinating for me to see as an intern, like, this is what the mom wanted. This is what you delivered. So it's just interesting, right? Because we, you know, we have to hear like, what are my issues and what are my opportunities to, to work through them, I guess. So anyway, bit of a tangent, but kind of a fun one at the same time, because you're not the only person who feels that way. Like 
you know, at least 50% of the people listening have the same feeling you do, right? So you just have to blow it open and see what are the options. So what are what are your thoughts on, I feel like we're really going off here, but that's okay. We see where it takes us, right? What are your thoughts on plant protein versus actual like meat proteins? Yeah, I don't know why we have a big Instagram platform, probably because we've made, we've put some effort into it. And so there's nothing more... There's no faster way to have people come and like throw shade at you than, than talking about this topic. It's real funny. The vegans all come out of the closet and they and they talk, they leave their hate comments. And then you go look and they're like not following you. So then you block. And it's just really cute. It's really okay. cute. It's really cute. Okay. We know that animal protein is more bioavailable. We know that there are nutrients that you can only get through animal proteins including B12, which is essential for energy. And by the way, a nutrient you would not have if you didn't have good stomach acid because you would not be able to break down those proteins and then absorb it. Side notes. So I like to think about food kind of like this because people obviously have lots of food relationship issues. You can have an intentional experiment and be curious. And I, I really encourage to just lean into curiosity. It's hard to do when you're in pain. Lean into curiosity and say, okay, I wonder what it would feel like if I do this. And then there is the desperation, which happens. And I see a lot of eczema. It's like, I did this, but then things got better. And then I just kept restricting and now things are much worse. That actually happens all the time because nutrient. So what, anyway, and then there is what you can do sustainably long-term. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I have done these curious experiments of like, what do I feel like on this, you know, vegan diet or a plant-based diet? And because I think there's a lot of benefit to having a lot of plants in the diet. Now, granted, there's all kinds of different trends that we're not going to get into today on on people like only eating carnivore or whatever. I I really don't like, this is just like not of interest to me because I I like to eat food. And most of my, like, that's the people I'm working with. Like we all actually just want to enjoy life a little bit. The point I'm trying to say in a long winded way is you can be curious about something, see how you feel on it. And then you have to go to the next curious level and say, why do I feel so good on that? Right? Is it because I took out a bunch of other processed things that are hard to digest? Is it because I'm struggling with one of those couple, like I only eat four types of proteins and I'm struggling to digest a couple of those, or I'm struggling with a couple of those. Cause if I've got gut permeability and I have gut intestinal permeability, if I have gut dysbiosis that creates gut permeability. And then if I eat the same damn thing every single day, I can become sensitive to it. Ah, uh-huh. all on the same page on that. Yeah. But hopefully in the next 10 years, we'll get, we'll get there. Cause it's, it's, it's like, duh. But anyway, so uh, what we do know is that animal protein is more bioavailable. You, you get uh, more of the protein benefit 
than with plant-based proteins. Sure, you can get a complete protein with plant-based products and you have to eat like some stupid amount of beans, <laughs> you know, you have to eat some <laughs> stupid amount of these plant-based items. So like if you want to give that a shot, but what happens is with everything, this is why I think an intentional experiment, which looks like maybe three weeks is like a solid amount of time because that's about the length of an attention span. And after that, the attention span can can wax and wane. So people sometimes go plant and I'm I'm I'm, I'm stereotyping a little bit because we don't have someone here to argue with us. But what can happen is people start something with the best of intentions, like, wow, I felt really good on that. I'm going to like start doing that all the time. So you start with the best of intentions. You're like, I'm going to be plant-based. Before you know it, you're just eating like coconut buttered noodles at a restaurant because there's no like other good foods. And then you do not have a stable blood sugar. And guess what? If you don't have a stable blood sugar, you got all kinds of issues after that. So you know, yeah. then you're got all kinds of mood and hormone issues. So anyway, I am pro animal-based protein. I think it's Lovely. Yeah. I've asked that a question to a few people I've had on that can really speak to it. And that's always been the answer. And I've just always been so curious about, I'm sure you've seen it all, but there's like, when I was on social media years ago, they, and there were so many people that like really pushed the, the plant-based situation. And I tried it once and I was like this, first of all, I am not full. Like the number one, first and foremost, I feel like I could eat this dinner three times and still be hungry. So there's that. My husband was like, I am literally starving to death. Like, I cannot do this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just interesting. No, so the other thing I had- that, that thrive with different different things, but I, I always be careful with dogma. You know, on this note, I, I kind of like to lean on this story because I actually see it present a lot. And Chris Masterjohn talks about, and he's like a kind of a super nerd who talks about nutritional biochemistry, but he'll share his story that he was vegan or plant-based or some variety. I'm, I'm quite sure he was vegan. And it, after about three years, his anxiety and mood was like completely off the rails. He wasn't getting amino acids to make neurotransmitters well. Like it's like basic, you know? And so it just slowly breaks down. It took three years for him to be like, I'm not okay. Like I am like borderline suicidal, like not okay. And I might be putting words in his mouth, but I appreciate the story from people who have walked the walk. I'm not going to drive myself to that kind of thing. Be careful with dogma. Look at how long someone's done something. <laughs> and you can always take a, a curious observation to something, right? Like that's, I think, approach life with a little bit of curiosity, but also a brain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, so this, this question is probably, it's going to need to be broken down several different times. <laughs> so basically I want to hear about your thoughts on the relationship between certain things and with eczema. Okay. Sure. So the four things that I want to know about are sleep, food, hydration, and alcohol. I don't know how deep you want me to get on this. Sleep and eczema for sure have a relationship. Obviously, if you're itching through the night, your sleep is impacted. And sleep is our, there's a reason God gave us one third of the day for sleep because it's when we heal and repair and restore. We're also fasting at that time. Our, our, our digestion is not actively working and our body is going in repair mode. It's like having the janitors on overnight doing things. There's different reasons people, in my opinion, and in kind of the functional medicine world, why we think people have different types of sleep issues. The amount of people with sleep issues is flipping appalling. One little insert here, since we're talking about eczema and eczema affects so many kids and thereby affects so many parents because it's like starts to become miserable. They put the kids in their bed before they know it, they're not sleeping before you know it, like the whole 
life is falling apart. It's not good. I want to mention with kids, just of note, they really only show symptoms in a handful of ways. Sleep issues, skin issues, poop issues, and mood issues. Aside from that, like those are the things I see, right? If you're seeing pediatrics, those are that's like a, the main things. So these are all important to consider. So sl- sleep, if you're not sleeping, that's not good. When I when someone comes to me, they may like it's common for people to not want to be on medication, so they may not want to be using steroid. Probably go to sleep is the right time to use a steroid. If you can sleep, you're better than not sleeping, right? So that's one thing. I actually did a whole podcast with someone on the topic of sleep and brought all kinds of research to it. But what you need to know is like you must sleep to heal. I know that's like duh, but I'm just kind of sometimes people need permission. And so if you're trying not to use steroids and that's a whole topic that's whatever we is is fair game. Your priority is sleep, so do what you need to to sleep. I've even I mean, I don't know, you've probably interviewed like a sleep specialist or what I I can't remember what there's this gal I I know and she's like a pediatric sleep consultant or whatever. And God bless her. I'm glad people like that exist to help help people through this like really important piece. When I, I don't know how much more you want me to say about it, but I remember having puritis in a pregnancy and like the only thing that gave me four hours of sleep was castor oil. It was like the heaviest. And actually that's like a whole strategy around skin is like layering topicals from lightest oil to heaviest oil. But anyway, do what you can to sleep and get to some root causes. I actually just talked to someone yesterday. She's like, until we started to work on gut issues, my kid never slept from the moment he was born and until we started to work on gut issues. Like it was the first time he slept in two and a half years of his life. So, That's so interesting. Oh, I'm like, I'm so sorry, mom, for your adrenals. Okay. Yeah. So some okay, comments so food. you want to add to that? No, I think that that's, I mean, it's, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's like, duh, but at the same time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like, well, you still, you need to hear, sometimes we have to hear something because we're like, I guess I'm not, I didn't give myself permission to put steroid on my kid at night so I could sleep. And so maybe, maybe you needed to hear some piece of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, can I go to alcohol just cause it's easy yeah. and yeah, yeah. go to the harder ones, just yeah. the longer winded ones. So alcohol, what I see happening here. So this is like multi-layer. Is there anything you want to give me context about with alcohol and, and eczema? The, so specifically before? a friend I have. <laughs> so before I hopped on, I was like, Hey guys, you have any burning questions? And of course my friend, she has like, so it's not eczema. It's actually psoriasis, but she's had it since she was young. And she's like, can you ask her about alcohol and psoriasis or like eczema, like skin conditions? Because she's like, obviously I don't want to cut out alcohol. <laughs> you know, she likes to have her like glass of red wine every Friday and Saturday. You know what I mean? So just curious as to, is it necessary? And I think I know your answer to this just because of kind of your stance, like, is it necessary to like cut out all alcohol in order to like fix and condition a condition or yeah. it depends um, on how your, how your healing is going. So Remember I had like mild eczema that would come and go before it became like this, your body will whisper before it screams. (laughs) And so before I broke out in this like raging rash (laughs) that like was consuming way too much of my time and space, I never even had to think about this, you know? And then when I was going through more, what we would call healing crisis, where it's like, this sucks, you have to decide what am I going to keep and get rid of? So it kind of depends on the severity and what people are willing to do. I have had a handful, a very small handful of clients that actually would not stop drinking multiple days a week. It was part of their life, social life, I guess, like part of work and social life. And so they wouldn't stop and they did suffer from it. What happens with alcohol 
is it pushes its way to the front of the line as a toxin. So you might struggle. Like if you've got something going on in your skin, you're probably not eliminating beautifully. So always make sure your other elimination systems are working. Are you sweating? Are you peeing? Are you having a bowel movement at least once a day? That's a good question. I'm just going to let some air go by there because that's like not necessarily common. Probably is on, on, on the people listening to this, but I, I love seeing someone who's constipated and skin issues. I'm like, oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> Let's get you pooping and so fix all easy. the good stuff. So easy when you got that problem. Great, good. We've got a real clear thing. So alcohol pushes its way to the front of the line of detoxification. One place I would challenge you to help you kind of discern where you're going to stand is are you drinking more than one drink a week? Because when it gets to be more than that, I've seen it cause some challenges for healing when people are actively trying to do other things. It's like seems to be cutting off our ankles underneath of us. And then the other thing I was going to say about it is, do you have exacerbation or worsening skin symptoms that seems to be cyclical with ovulation or menstrual cycle? Because if you do, that's another dead ringer that you're not really clearing that stuff out very well. So I bet alcohol is probably not going to help. So I never, I never say never or never say always. I don't really think I'm just kind of like not that committed (laughs) to life. And I like to, I like to drink alcohol, but when I was healing, I could not. And when I, when I was able to bring it back, I actually do had to do hard liquor that was not histamine because wine and beer typically are less well tolerated. So that would be some, some tips around that, I guess there is an, And so you can take some stuff to support liver function at that time. So, you know, you really want to take into account, honestly, like how much is it and then how severe is my situation and what are my other signs and symptoms to help you kind of make the decision properly. So it's so interesting that you're saying all that. So the other day I'm like, okay, what is going on? So the past like couple of months, my body's kind of getting used to like its own menstrual cycle again, right? The last couple of months, I'm like, what is going on? on. Only like a few days out of the month, I've been noticing, I'm like, what is this? Like, it's like a weird macular, papular type of rash, like almost like a butterfly type of situation on my face. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it is totally like during PMS. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) never had this in my life. What is going on? But it's like always the first, I don't know, like three or four days before I get my period. Yeah, perfect. Right. When estrogen's trying to get out, you know? Right. So I'm like, Ugh. and you know what's interesting about this? So we keep talking about this, and I'm guessing it's baby number four or your last child. That no, so it was the first child. Oh, it was the first my child. My last okay, cool. one's good. Good. Cool. I was just going to say, if it was a last one and then you're seeing little things, it's like you're just building a case sometimes. That's all. Yeah. Like, no, that would make sense. I yeah. It makes sense. You know what I mean? I just like things like, one time I talked to someone that did not make sense. And I was like, I just don't believe this. <laughs> I don't believe that how this works. Like I, uh, I, I think there's a lack of self-awareness. No, but uh, then never yeah. mind. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. We're not getting all the way into it, but yeah. So, so what do you do with that? Right. And so I don't know if you want me to comment on this. There's like a handful of things. There's a lot of things actually, cause there's about, f- well, yeah, because now if people are listening and they're like, Oh, I have that. They're gonna be like, what the heck? <laughs> okay. So there's, for me, I'm always like, but there's a deeper piece. So there's like four or five different places where estrogen can kind of get stuck, essentially. We there's a test that allows us to look at metabolism. I my effort, my my thoughts are like, do the simple things first. Okay, here's what helps hormones come into balance. Cause by the way, estrogen is gonna be a little more overpowering if progesterone is not in a good place. And like you said, if you're postpartum and things are adjusting there could just be some more adjustment that needs to happen. But here are the things that impact hormone health. 
gut health, toxic burden, stress, nutrient deficiencies, and blood sugar. I would argue that we've actually touched on all of those today. So it's funny because, you know, same roots of things. If you have, so if you're experiencing that, there's a few things. One thing is the use of really good fiber. I'm not talking about necessarily just psyllium. It kind of depends on where your bowels are, but like flax can be really helpful at binding up estrogen, but like a lot of it. So maybe for the two weeks before your cycle starts. So this is tricky because you can't just like jump in and do like a quarter cup of flax a day. And I under, I get that's that would be kind of hard. Like if protein's hard, like getting up that much flax, in would be kind of hard, right? So, um, but that can help bind up estrogen really naturally and be pretty effective. And there's someone maybe you should interview. Her name's Megan Barnett of Florosophy. She can talk all about this topic really beautifully. And her co-founder, the was a is does the marketing stuff because like her period stuff just stopped when she added this because it's basically helping package up this excess estrogen really safely without a bunch of like fancy nuanced stuff. So there's other things that you can do. Pomegranate juice daily shots can improve. Some of that stuff too. There's like a whole bunch of little nuanced things, but I think like the biggest bang for your buck in one sentence is like introduce high quality fiber and then increase it until it's enough. And if you don't want to do it all the time, you can try doing it the last two weeks before your cycle begins. It's interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, I, after every single baby actually had a lot of, t- like I had a tough time holding on to my pregnancy in between baby three and four, like had a couple miscarriages and I was really estrogen dominant, like significantly. Mm-hmm. It was a big, big issue. Oh, so, you know, it's already like a, a bit of a thing, you know? So that's, yeah. That's but great. like a wall, I need like a solution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's multiple solutions. So it kind of depends on the, I will say one place to get stuck can be like with caffeine and stress. So sometimes when you just hear how people's cycles present, you can kind of tell them what's wrong. So I don't always go straight to testing estrogen metabolism unless someone's got breast, cervical, or ovarian cancer history in their family, because I think the the information's too valuable to skip at that point. But but otherwise there is some like cool nuance of depending on where it's getting stuck, I guess. Of course, one of the challenging parts of the conversation is like we're sort of in an epidemic of like we don't have enough progesterone for a lot of reasons. And if we improve our progesterone, then our estrogen can potentially just be balanced also. So right. Right. So, anyway, I don't know if that helps. But interesting. Those are no, a couple, it does. Like, really quick little easy things. So Oh, we were talking about food and hydration. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to that. Next one. Hydration. When you're thinking about, so remember that things showing up in the skin are some part of compromised elimination. We eliminate through bowels, urine, skin, lymph. I'm probably forgetting something. Respiration. So clean air and hydration are really like low hanging fruit that we wouldn't really think about all the time. I would argue that our hydration is poor because under stress, as a broken record here, we dump minerals and electrolytes help us replace some minerals. There's a lot of different profiles. We can get nuanced and specialty. But if you just start there, that can be really useful. I've actually had pregnant clients where they gotten pregnant after walking in the door and then I can't do some more aggressive protocols and therapeutics. And so we do gentle stuff and they still have clear, they still get clear skin because we're putting back all that nourishment and the pieces that they, their body would use to manage that stuff on its own. So that would be a comment about hydration. Anything you want to add to that? I will just add really quick, a plug. Have you ever listened to the Huberman lab podcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's kind of like my idol. So he's 
become my idol recently. So I started to listen. His, his one on sleep was, I think, my first one. I just listened to his one on hydration. I was like, okay, Lindsay, you're like significantly water like depleted. Like I can't even tell you. Like I was like, oh, this seltzer hydrates me. This is fine because I like to drink seltzers. It's I don't, water is so boring to me. But whatever. So the last three days, I am at like ninety six ounces. That's my goal. Ninety six ounces a day. I don't think I've ever drank this much water in my life. Okay, <laughs> but. I cannot tell you, I already, like today specifically, because I started three days ago, I feel like it takes a while to like catch up, but I'm like, oh, like I feel like I have more energy. Like there's all these things and I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this for a couple weeks and I can't wait to like report back to myself like how I'm feeling. But like, I just like, I can't imagine if we were to take a poll of all the people listening to this and like, do you get adequate enough hydration? It would be no, because he was saying you need to drink what was it? You need to drink eight ounces per hour. This is an average, obviously. You don't have to be like, okay, hours up, eight ounces. No, just eight on average, eight ounces per hour in the first 10 hours of being awake because your kidneys are, they work best in the first like 10 hours that you're awake. And they kind of, they, they follow like a circadian rhythm, right? So like they kind of like, work less as the evening progresses. And then overnight, you don't want them working 24-7 because you'd be up to the to the bathroom every five seconds. So they kind of like go to sleep just like you do. So he's like, you want to get that like 80 ounces in. Obviously, there's so many factors that might vary as to like how much you specifically need, but that's like a rough estimate. So you're already at 80 ounces just for like baseline hydration. That doesn't put into account like what you do for a living. Is it laborious or do you work out? Are you sick? Like, obviously all of those other things, you're going to need more than that. But like, I can't even count on like one hand in the past 10 years of me drinking 80 ounces of water per day. Like I just don't do it. And hindsight's 2020 because I had, I, I avoided having my blood drawn for a long time because I remember having like not feeling great after having blood drawn or it being really slow. Like people would come in and donate blood and like two people would be done by the time I was done. And I grew up and became a grown up and learned that part of that is, well, massively due to hydration and like getting a good blood draw has a lot to do with how hydrated you are. So after literally years, like probably I, I last donated blood in high school, I donated blood last month and I'm like, watch me be hydrated. And it just went wonderfully. And I didn't have any proof of that happening before. And it's just like, sneaky, stupid things. Like you're like, Oh, I had no idea. Look at how I remembered that experience. Like I can't get blood. Oh, maybe I just was dehydrated. <laughs> right. right, <laughs> yeah, like right. I think we're all chronically dehydrated and it's, it's the cause uh, root, <laughs> root cause of so many things. I feel like anyway, Lots that's like a whole other. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. We can always talk about minerals another day. Yeah. Cause I have a lot of feelings about this topic as well. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Really quick uh, food. I mean, I know this is like probably heavy, but just try to. Yeah. And so what do you, I, I'm actually going to ask you to give me like a little more context as well, because okay. there's a lot I could say. So, okay. So specifically, I feel like the best thing, like, I, I guess the biggest question would be like, are there certain food groups that would lead a person to suffer more with like inflammation, eczema, that sort of thing? Or is it very person to person dependent? Great question. Okay. That is yeah. so much easier for me to answer. Yeah. Okay. If you have, remember I was talking about like that liver dominated eczema, eat whole foods, m minimize the processed stuff. Cause 
then it's less for your body to work through. And I see this happen all the time. Like those people don't have to change. Like there's not huge stakes. And again, a lot of my clients have pretty healthy diets, right? So not huge. I haven't had really major concerns where people have to do a bunch of crazy, crazy bologna. They just need to eat a healthy diet and minimize toxins and things because the priority for them is supporting that elimination. For people that have more like bright red, pink eczema, et cetera, I will look at their food history and see if it's like a hundred percent histamine. If it is, we might be able to get some, I call this sitting on the couch with a broken ankle approach. If you're walking around continuing like on a broken ankle without any support, then you're adding insult to injury potentially in the short term. So depending on the severe, like how much this person's walking around with a broken ankle, AKA if their entire diet is histamine, I may reduce the histamine, just swap in like high histamine stuff with low histamine stuff to relieve some of the symptoms. Cause that's going to make some of the redness, itching, et cetera, go down while I go in and treat the cause of histamine degradation issues, which is gut and liver stuff. So I think that's really valuable to talk about because like this is not understood (laughs) well because there's, you know, Facebook groups of people with histamine. Like there's other things that make this much worse, mold, mold that make it really a problem. And I will say just really quickly, like having some just slight mold issues makes it look like you're reacting to all kinds of foods, like all the grains, all kinds of sugars and all kinds of stuff, which is kind of annoying. What else do I want to say about that? So that's one, I would say those are the, that's the big one. I have a cookbook about this and like the other thing, and I would say it's mostly for like histamine and some of those top eight allergens are an issue depending. I mean, you know how it is, like depends on how that, that, presents clinically to me. It's like, does this really look that severe or not? And depending on the severity, I don't know. I just kind of have some, I see a lot of cases. So I'm like, I have some intuition around like, do we really need to adjust something? Do you actually have to go get allergy tested, et cetera? So yeah. kind of depends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We only have a few more minutes. I have one quick question and then we're going to end it with two random questions not related to the po- podcast topic. So the last question is, I know that there are so many people that want to know about like, kids specifically so their child suffering with eczema like are there obviously the the number one thing is going to be like what can i do topically like what's the best thing to use like what would be your go-to thing and then do you have any other tips like avoiding certain things or adding certain whatever whatever you might say to a mom mm, that's like okay well let me quick tips. um i'm going to start with the second one i guess first because i want to say I'm going to just like go on the heels of something I said a moment ago with how do we eliminate through the skin, through sweating, bowel movements, urination, lymphatics, air. So whatever you can do, like what an exercise I think that's valuable is to what, and most people do this. So, but you may not have done this. So I'm going to walk you through this because people will be like, I tried everything. It changed the laundry detergent. And I'm like, sounds like you did a few things in your environment. <laughs> sounds like there's more <laughs> that can be done. There's always more that can be done. Look at that as opportun- opportunity instead of dis- disappointment. You know, like everyone is yeah. angry that they don't get something on the first one, two, three, four or five times, but yeah. you have opportunities. So I always like to walk through the day and say, what's the burden or what's the load of the day? Like you get up, what's, so I, I just spent eight hours in a bedroom touching sheets. What were my clothes washed in? right? So that's like a lot of potential toxic burden. Like if you're using straight up Tide, scented Tide, right? Like there's an opportunity, like maybe make that unscented, do the sensitive skin one. Probably already did that if you had as eczema, quite honestly. But if you haven't, consider it for at least the, the sake of your hormones and endocrine disruptors. 
And then look at what the morning looks like. What's the breakfast look like? What are you inhaling, right? What's the air quality? Like, are you inhaling a bunch of scents and plug-in scent things, et cetera? We get in the car, how much, like what's going on there? What am I inhaling? What's my skin touching? So pay attention to everything you're putting on your skin or that's touching your skin um, or your child's and like what's being inhaled through the nose. Like those are two such low hanging things that are just opportunities. Do I think you're going to automatically like solve all the problems? No, but some mild, like there's plenty of stories where people do. I never see those people because they're better. Right. So those are opportunities. I think you can get, you can get experimental. Sometimes I'm surprised that people haven't tried a probiotic with their kid before they get to me sometimes, which is a little unusual. I would say you can see there's a giant difference in types because there's a giant difference in, <laughs> difference in types. Some are actually going to promote histamine producing bacteria. So it could make it worse. So don't be discouraged. Try something different, but give yourself an opportunity to try a couple things for a few weeks there and see what efforts you can make. What kind of changes can you make to the microbiota? Having a good like whole foods diet does change the microbiota for the better. So all of those things are just really low hanging fruit. If the whole family needs to like be on some more whole foods, just make it enjoyable, right? Like 75% of the issue is how you approach it. And the the disdain with which you approach it with, right? Like, I'm not going to come over here and tell you you have to change your diet if you think it's a stupid idea. Cool. Well, nothing I'm going to do about that's going to change that, right? So like, it's all you, what you want to do with that. So those would be some like low hanging fruit things that I think are reasonable for topicals. As usual, I have like four angles <laughs> for which you would do that. But there's, there's three main things. There's cleansing of the skin, there's controlling the bacteria, and there's healing it. So it depends on what the priority is. If it's like you're having like red, angry pussiness, maybe you need to control what's going on like staph aureus or fungal wise. My understanding, I don't know if you can speak to this anymore, but the dermatologists that I've interviewed say like the fungal cultures aren't super accurate. So there's a little bit of opportunity of like mix in some of that to control bacterial and fungal overgrowth on the skin. And then what kind of nutrients are nourishing healing? Silica, MSM, um, Coconut oil is not, can actually be a touch disruptive because it's got caprylic acid in it, which is antifungal. So it doesn't really fit in like the healing nourishing realm. When I am working with clients, I try to, usually there's already an entire closet of crap. And so I'm actually kind of encouraging basic oils and sometimes mixing something in with that and trying to keep it really simple and basic. If you're using the same thing over and over and over, and you have broken skin that can go and you have an immune system that's out of balance that can go in and be read by the immune system as now an inflammatory marker. So if you use something for a really long time, like this actually happens a lot with oatmeal, there's a bunch of oatmeal based creams and people will use them for a long time and then they develop a sensitivity to oatmeal. Everything else is a mess. And so it's not inherently that oatmeal was bad. It probably wasn't a sensitivity at the beginning, but it became one because it went through that leaky skin that barrier and the immune system is not in good shape. So the immune system is not in good shape because the gut is in not in perfect shape. I like to change that up, keep it super basic and super simple. Clients love tallow, jojoba oil, emu oil. All of those are, are cool. So yeah, just some ideas. Yeah. Cool. Okay. We have approximately one minute. You think we can do this? <laughs> I don't know. What else? So I need one piece of advice for moms from you. And then I need what meal would you make for your family that everyone would eat that's relatively quick and easy? 
for moms, I would say we are, we live in a place where we put everyone else before our own needs and that we are very reactive and we don't feel good. And everyone else is going to be better if you feel better. Be proactive. You decide what that looks like for you. For me, I'm like a real bitch if I don't get a few minutes to myself in the morning by myself mm-hmm. to just collect myself. Yes. What was the second one? A what meal, meal would you make? make? Mm-hmm. Was there any other ramifications or like just just that else? it's quick and easy and that everyone eats it? Okay. Korean beef bowl uh, with ground beef from Damn Delicious. There's like four ingredients. It's really easy to edit. So it's like soy sauce or non-soy sauce or coconut aminos, red pepper flakes, ginger powder, and like either brown sugar or maple syrup or something or coconut sugar or something and make double the sauce. And you just need a pound of ground beef. And then I add in like whatever veggies someone would eat, like whether it's a mixed veggie or peas or shredded cabbage. If you want, you could do that separately and then put over rice and everyone loves that. So Yum. really easy. I too. love it. I love it. All right. Well, obviously we could have talked for like, I don't know, hours, but thank you for everything that you taught us about today, Krista. This was awesome. Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure. I kind of I feel like if I could do something good, then I would be happy to share whatever I can. Yes, I love it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun.